I am unashamed. What about you? So we're back uh, on unashamed and uh, shocker of shockers. Zach is back with us. Zach's been out for the last four podcasts. I, I thought we were going to have to send an SOS out. I, I didn't know exactly what was what was going on. Zach, welcome back to Unashamed. We've been missing you. Zach, I, let, yeah, let me I, go ahead, Zach. Uh, say hey, because so, we've been missing you. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to say hello. I was asked not to be on the podcast by our sound engineers, so it was not. Uh, it, it was I was absent by request because I had microphone issues and I, I didn't know how to quite fix it. Well, let me just go ahead. We're, we're I like transparency, but I want to just tell you the conversation because you just mentioned sound engineers. So I showed up here. Of course, you're in North Carolina. Al's in. Where are you at, Al? Alabama. Alabama. Phil and I are in Louisiana. And so I came here and I said, well, Zach's going to be here, and one of your sound engineers said, 100%, he's not going to be here. And I said, well, <laughs> I am 100% sure from the source, Zach, that he will be here. And he said, nope. <laughs> Someone told him 100% that you will not be here. And so then all of a sudden, one minute before we're supposed to start, Zach appears here and I, and I thought to myself, a hundred percent doesn't mean what it used to mean. And my <laughs> favor, true. I turned out to be right, <laughs> but someone said he will not be here, and it was all over your mic. So yeah, how much? Deal. How much did that mic cost? This is an upgrade right here. This was a hundred and twenty-four dollars. $124. So you've been delayed for weeks, and we y'all have had your production meetings and all that over $124, which I realize is a lot of money, but $124? These boys, I think they're tight. We're running a tight ship, Jay. I was going to try to make it work, and I just finally gave up. I, I, I said, I'm just going to take it, return the mic, return the mic, same mic. It's not actually an upgrade. I think it's the same mic, but it was $24 more now than it was when I bought it the first time, which was in June. So inflation, mm. boys, it's real. I think y'all need a lesson <laughs> on uh, giving and value and money. You can't stop the train <laughs> over $124 is all I'm saying. <laughs> Too shy. I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm sitting here at 76, and I'm watching you young bucks roll and disappear reappear he's not here yay he'll come back later <laughs> and i'm looking at all that and i said here i am watching this whole thing and i looked around one day and i said I, I, when do you retire you know when do you shut it out <laughs> you know those, 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 you put the wood on the fire and, and relax but i looked in the in the future horizon i said i don't see any I don't see any, you know, rest from the labor of your works. No, there's no retiring here. <laughs> no, it's just, it, it, we didn't, I didn't slow down. We've speeded up. <laughs> Dad, that's what heaven is for. That's, 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 in heaven, you're going to get all the rest you want. You're going to have a nice, long, little anesthesia sleep. Then you wake up, you're going to be ready to go for eternity. But it sounds like to me retirement would be a, a big bore. You know, if I just said, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to do the work of the Lord here, 76 years old, and at least tell people, look, try Jesus. I know there's a lot going on out there. Won't you try him? Because uh, I, I, I haven't found anything else that seems to be working. Medicinal, you know, concoctions. Doesn't seem to bring them out of it. Yeah, it just one, of the greatest, one, of, one of the greatest sermons ever preached in the last well, I say ever in the last 40 years was a a sermon it's, it's it's a famous sermon by John Piper I think he gave it at a passion conference like 20 years ago so you, you got John Piper I don't know how old he was at the time but it's the audience is all like 18 to 22 year olds and it's all young people and he gave a sermon that's now known as the seashell sermon if you Google it, I mean, it's powerful and it, it's, it's been credited as spurring on a generation of kingdom workers. And basically the point of the sermon was 
don't go out the, the final days of your life retired picking up seashells. Like you go out with the, you go out doing kingdom work to the day you die. The, 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 there's there is no retirement. It's it's kingdom work to the day you die. Do something I agree that's with meaningful that. that matters. I, I agree with you that one hundred percent. Well, and that's the thing, Dad. I mean, you you don't you wouldn't. I mean, if you were retired, you, your life wouldn't look much different than it is now, except for us doing this. I mean, you, you don't go anywhere anyway. I mean, yeah. except on your hunting property. So. Yeah. In in a sense, I, yeah, I told somebody one time about, said, so what do you do for a living? I said, well, I mean, we do podcasts, we travel, we speak. I was like, I'm either, my life is a constant vacation or I work all the time. You you pick. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> you, you decide what that is because yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm gone a lot. But but it's we're all doing kingdom work, which, which is great. So I want to do a little bit of a recap. Zach, since you were out working on microphone issues with the sound engineers, um, because we're up to chapter four, but chapter three was really interesting. I wanted to see if you had any takes on it. Uh, we kind of started what I call a new uh, cycle for Jesus. You know, every, every one of these chapters, we get into a, another round where he's going out and the crowds keep getting bigger as the word is spreading. It, if you go, if you got, if you run up on this cat, you can be healed. So they're they're starting to stream in from everywhere. And then Jesus does something really interesting. We get to thirteen of chapter three. He kind of builds the first group to go out. Everything to this point has been coming to him. Now he's got his group, and he's getting them ready to go out. And and we talked a lot about the idea that we've been going out ever since. You know, and of course he does it again post resurrection. Uh, with this same group. Mm-hmm. And then we get to chapter, I mean, verse 20 of chapter three. And it's really interesting because it's almost like it, it's a, a couple of different angles of how they couldn't really explain what he was doing. First one was his own family. They couldn't explain it. So they said he was crazy. He's out of his mind. We don't, we don't know. We don't know who, who, who he is anymore. And then the other group was the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, and they said their explanation was, well, he must have a demon. In other words, the only way he can cast out demons is if he has one. And so in that context, Jesus says, you know, gives them a little how does Satan, you know, cast out himself? You know, how would he work against himself? And he said something really interesting. I want to hear your take on it. Verse 28, he said, I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of man will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin or an unforgivable, some versions say. So he he puts that in there in that context. And we kind of expounded on what we thought that meant, because there's been a lot written and talked about that. What's what's your take on that uh, that concept? No, the the, the first thing I think about is every time I've ever read that verse, particularly as a young Christian, I was like, have I done that? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, still, I don't, I hope I haven't done that. Whatever that is to blaspheme the Holy spirit. If it's unforgivable. Oh, I hope that's not me. I, kind of the same feeling I get when I read Hebrews chapter six, you know, about uh, it's impossible to be brought back to repentance. And I think these two verses are, are, are linked, um, interlinked. Um, what, what I, what I would say is, is, uh, um, you think about blaspheming the spirit, it's probably good to understand what is the role of the Holy spirit, or at least his primary role. You know, I grew up in, we grew up in church tradition that taught that the spirit only speaks to the written word, which I don't think is biblical. Um, in fact, uh, when I went to the college that I attended, they were advertising a, a, a seminar on the Holy spirit and it's in, and the, the sign said, what does it do? You know, how does it work? And it, it, every time it referenced the Holy spirit, it would reference him as an it, as if it, it, you know he wasn't personal. Um, but if you turn to the most exhaustive text in the Scripture on the role of the Holy Spirit, is in is when what Jesus said about him, starting in John fourteen, all the way through John seventeen, and it's pretty clear through that text when Jesus says, "I have to go," and trust me, you want me to go because if I don't go, then he's not going to come, the Counselor. The, the spirit, he calls him the spirit of truth with a capital T. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so I think there's this idea of, of, of uh, revelation and that we think, okay, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? His, so the Father, he planned the whole thing, the salvation of everything, of our souls and all that. Like the Father planned it. 
the son accomplishes it, you know, at the cross, Jesus accomplished our salvation. And then the spirit applies that to us. The spirit illuminates our heart. The spirit reveals to us the truth about who God is, about reality itself. And I think what's happening here with these Pharisees is that the Jesus is doing a work of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, the spirit of God is on him and he is performing miracles in the name of of. of of, of God the Father. And when he does that, he's doing it to testify that, hey, I am who I say I am. Like, I, like I'm like i the God man. I'm the son of man. The son of God is uh, particularly in Mark that uh, Jason's been talking about a lot. He said, I am the son of God. And they're like, okay, prove it. They said, okay. And he starts performing miracles. The miracles, as we said on occasion, are to give confirmation to the claims of Jesus. And so it, it's what, what's happening with these Pharisees. It's the ultimate, ultimately, I mean, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to reject truth in its purest form. Even in the face of the miracles, they, they would just stick their fingers in their ear and say, well, it must have been the devil. So, and, and the point of that is it doesn't matter what Jesus would say or what Jesus would do. They, they were, their God was themselves, and they were not going to bow down before the living God. They were ultimately rejecting truth, and the Spirit is the only way that you're going to receive a revelation of truth. So what, what to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is, it's to reject the only means by which you would receive the knowledge of how to become righteous with God. That's what it means. That's why it's an unfor- unforgivable sin. It's not a one-time event. It's a spirit of a person who would ultimately reject God's revelation for them and say, I don't want that. I'm I not going to come up would, with some reason why. I would give two texts that reaffirm what you just said. Uh, and John, you mentioned him in 12 through 14 there. He's in first John, when he wrote it, he said, you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies, which, and you read the book of Mark, the question was, is he the son of God? It is the man, the liar is, who denies that Jesus is the Christ. And here's what's interesting. And he does this twice. Such a man is the Antichrist. He desires, he denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. They're saying you're not who you're claiming you are. So he says, see to it that you have heard What you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does not, uh, also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. Take that, and when you get over, and that's in chapter 2 of uh, 1 John, talking about verse 20. He brings it up again in in 1 John chapter 4. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. And that was what the, that's what all the static was just that right there. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. When God was performing all these miracles and showing them the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were saying, you have a demon. You don't have the spirit of God in you. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Jesus was dealing with them in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God because they were saying, you're doing what you're doing by the power of the devil. And Jesus said, I tell you what, blasphemy of the Spirit of God that you you are having eternal sin because you don't believe I'm who I say I am. So this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh that was the problem. They looked at him and they said, is that the one that come out of that little girl down there, you know, her and her man messing around? She was. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. It's an eternal sin when you reject Jesus, when he's doing the work, the power of the spirit. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming 
and even now is already in the world. Well, he was there when Mark was writing down his information. You, dear children, are from God, and look how he ends us up. You have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. They're from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. But we're from God, John and all the rest of the apostles, including us, the saints. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And that was the whole crux of the problem. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. It's the one, it's Jesus, and you badmouth him and say, he's not the one, he's not God, he's, a, he's no way God could be in flesh, and all that trouble he was having, it carries on into what John was saying here, and I would, I would offer the point that he's still here. Hang on, let's uh, let's take a break. So I don't know about y'all if you like getting a um, a surprise box, but but I do. Of course, Lisa orders way more stuff than me, so usually she gets more surprised than me. But one of the things that I love, one of our sponsors uh, sends to my house every month, is is it's called a box of awesome. It's from one of our sponsors called Bespoke Post. And they have these seasonal lineups of different things they'll send you. And, and you, you go online and you tell them the things you like. And this, so it's kind of like a little surprise. It's stuff you like, but you don't really know what it is. So it's almost like having Christmas, you know, once a month. Uh, I, I, camping gear, if, if you like that sort of thing. Uh, they've got uh, cool knives and, and razors and, you know, a lot of kitchen stuff. This last time I got some really good soap and things like that. Uh, so here's what you do if you want to check these guys out. You go to boxofawesome.com, and you're going to, like I said, take a little quiz. Let them know what you like, what's what's the things that they can send you. Uh, you get a, a, a new box every month across a lot of different categories. Uh, each box is valued about $70, but you only pay a, a fraction of that. Uh, it's um, It comes to your house small. 90% of everything that comes in your box of awesome is from a small and upcoming brand, which is, we like that, supporting new businesses as well. It's free to sign up. You can skip a month or cancel anytime. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com. Enter the code Phil when you check out. So that's boxofawesome.com. Use the code Phil, 20% off your first box. Check them out. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would too. I think that's the thing that we grew up. Um, the spirit speaks through the written word and he certainly does speak through the Bible. Um, but the spirit is also the agent of the Trinity. It's the person of the, of the triune Godhead that, that convicts my heart in terms of, of my sin. I, there's a passage in John. He, he's the power of the gospel, by the way, he's the power of the gospel. Yeah, and, and and there's this idea that you mentioned, like the, I love that that juxtaposition between spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Because yep. so many of us, the way we approach our our, our sanctification, which is like we're saved, um, yeah, we are justified before holy God. I'm not guilty anymore, but but I'm still this sin still has a power over me, even as a believer. And the way a lot of us Christians have walked and tried to beat sin is we've tried to will sin away, right? And so we get, we get in a position, and, and lust is a great example because our, our culture is so sexualized, and that's something we probably all can identify with. When you're in a position where, like, you're tempted to lust after someone that's not not your spouse, mm-hmm. um, your, your, your go-to is that you think the Holy Spirit's telling you, hey, don't do that, it's wrong. That's it, not really what he's saying to you in that moment. He's not telling you that he's not speaking so much about right and wrong because that the way that sounds is is almost that God's got this list of rules that you're you got to follow, and if you follow these rules, then you'll prove your loyalty to me, and I'll let you in. That's not what the gospel is. What he's what he's telling you in that moment is not that it, it's right or wrong. What he's telling you is whether it's true or false. So I love that that, that verse you read at the end, the spirit of truth. Versus the spirit of false falsehood, yep. because it's it's not true that that will fulfill you. And in fact, if you do that, if you eat the apple, that's what he told Adam and Eve. Like, don't eat. You can have any fruit in the entire garden, all any tree you can eat it except for one. Why? Because if you eat that one, you're going to die. 
Don't it's eat. a it's mighty it's a mighty throng of them because he said, and they're the ones who say that Jesus is not who he said he was. He's that's the spirit of the antichrist. The antichrist. Twice he says that. You're you're anti Jesus yeah. if you don't believe in the power of the spirit working through him and in him. He you you just you just missed it. Well there there's a uh there's a really good book. I have it on my desk, uh shameless plug. I didn't write it, but if you can see that, it's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman, and it is one of the best books. It's a it's a difficult read, but it's one of the best books I've read in in the last <laughs> 20 years. I mean, it's in my top five now and, and for this cultural moment. And one of the things that he talks about in that book is he says that you, what you see with the spirit of falsehood, he, he says you see what's called what he calls an anti-culture. So you, you see a destruction of culture, whatever the culture is. Yep. And he said and he call he says they do it by what he calls a death work. So one of the things that you know about the Holy Spirit is that whatever he's leading you into, it's going to be a culture builder. And it's going to be a life work, not a death work. And, and and it's going to lead you into an abundant life. And the opposite of that is true, that to reject the Holy Spirit and to reject his revelation and the illumination that he brings to us through Jesus, that that that, that, that to reject that is ultimately to to move into a death work. So you that's can look Romans, at the final product. That's Romans chapter one, because they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over. To a depraved yeah. mind, so it, it, culturally speaking, oh, it's a downside to it beyond comprehension. I mean, that's what we're watching today in America. Yeah, but you think about the culture here. I think most people think. I mean, look, Jesus was healing all these diseases, and they're coming to him by the hundreds. I mean, he can't even yeah. everywhere he goes. He's there. The crowd is just pressing around. It was him. undeniable. He's casting out demons. Even when you see in chapter five that we'll get to, he's dealing with, you know, here's a homeless guy who has a demon and and you have that situation. Then he raises a dead girl from from the ground. I mean, this culture at that time, they should be like the I mean, what what kind of awards would you give them? They're uh Nobody has any diseases. He's curing all diseases. He's getting rid of all demons. He's raising dead people. He's addressing the homeless situation. He's ending the hunger. He's feeding 5,000 out there. I mean, so the Galilean world at that time should be the greatest flourishing place. (laughs) So you would think that would take care of all the problems. Yeah. But it didn't. But it didn't. They're attacking their their the religious leaders are then attacking the vehicle at which Jesus is using to show this power and saying it's actually demonic and evil. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's the ultimate. It, it's kind of like the ultimate finger in the ear. Like it's it's a belligerent and willful. And it, it, I mean, it, these people are intentionally bent on rejecting any truth because they want to preserve their own power structure. And I think that's what's well, what, look what, what they've blasphemy. said. Look what they've said, Zach. <clears throat> you have your truth. I have mine. What's the diff? That, that's their explanation. Yeah. Two thousand years later, you have your truth. I have my truth. It hasn't changed. That's 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 the thing about it is that the variations and the colorations, you know, may change of this, but the actual core of of humanism. That's right. Uh, Dallas Willard said said the problem. He said I've identified the problem. The problem is the worship of self. I mean, yep. That's the crux of renovation of the heart. The problem is the worship of self, and therefore the solution is to die to self. Mark chapter uh, Matthew chapter sixteen. Um, but so I, I think what's what Jesus is bringing here, though, I love what Jay said because man, what like what's he doing? Everywhere he's going is it's it's overflow, it's abundance, it's life, it's healing. It's not, he's not doing anything bad, but they're like they're looking at what he's doing. He's I think about it, he's healing people, and they're like they're offended by that. They're 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 mad about that. Well, I just thought about uh, you. You thought about the last president election. I mean, you know, Biden's case was basically. You know, we're going to we're going to cure the coronavirus. And that was his platform. Yeah. And of course, you know, I'm not trying to get in a political situation, but in this 
in Jesus's day, you have a political group, the Herodians, and a religious group, the Pharisees. They're wanting to kill Jesus. Well, when you look at the results of what Jesus is doing, he's basically functioning as the greatest politician ever. He is feeding the hungry. He is healing diseases. He He's helping the mentally challenged. Any situation that comes up, he's fixing all the problems of society. And they're not happy. It, you just have more people coming and all the leaders say, we got to kill him. And well, to me, that hey, shows you. Fast forward 2,000 years and somebody said, that's some guy at the gate out there. He's, he's threatening. He wants to kill you, Phil. I said, what? I said, he wants to kill you. I said, well, we'll try to convert him, but don't let us try to convert him before y'all kill him. I, we told the law that. The yeah. law said, what are we going to do with him? I mean, he, I said, give us a little time to convert him before you kill him. I said, and by the way, that in that case, he would come, would come down out to kill me. In that case, he, he obeyed the gospel and went on his way. But so I don't know. I'm just saying <laughs> death threats are still alive and well. I know that for a fact. I know that. Yeah, that's exactly. Hey, hang on. Let's, uh, let's, let's take a break on that one. So we got some crazy inflation uh, times going on, which really makes interest rates uh, become a much more of a critical thing. Um, charging higher interest rate is how banks make money. And so we like to hang on to as much of our money as possible, right? One of our sponsors is a company called Scoremaster, uh, and they have come up with some new science in accelerating your credit score, uh, which puts you in control of your money, not the bank. So if your credit score is, say, 700, you're borrowing 500 or 500 grand to refinance your home. If you start it, Scoremaster, it could save you over 75 grand over the life of that loan. So that's your money. It doesn't go to the bank. Uh, they have what they call the three-week rule, uh, which basically says if you got a major purchase, wait three weeks, let them help you get your credit score up. That way you get a lower interest rate. It's going to save you a lot of money over the life of your loan. It just takes a minute to get started. You can add 60 to 100 points in about three weeks. Uh, so time to get after it, especially if you're making that large purchase. So go to scoremaster.com slash fill. You're going to get a special seven-day trial. So that seven-day trial, it's waiting for you at scoremaster.com slash Phil. I was thinking about that, Zach. You're, you made that point, which is so strong. Jesus makes it, too, because he's the one that shows that Satan, you can't separate Satan from evil, from himself, because he came here, why, John 10, to kill steal and destroy that's yeah. his purpose that's what he does and so that's and so he can't he's not gonna work against himself and jesus says and i'm not working against the holy spirit so you can't you can't separate him which is kind of his point it's but you made a great point about how death and destruction how quickly you know it, it can come to that i was thinking about this recent hurricane yeah i read somewhere where there were 40 years ago there were only six hundred thousand people in this area. And then 40 years later, there's 10 million. And then a storm comes through and it's a, it was a bad one. It's powerful and, and just wreaks havoc and 40 years of building up and community and these beautiful little places on the waterfront and all this just were left in piles of ruin. And I thought about that in the sense of that's what Satan does. Like people can build and, and have something beautiful. And then he can come in and one day, can just wreak havoc and destruction just like that storm did along that coast. And so that that's what he does. And that's why Jesus makes the point when you, when you're saying that I have an evil spirit and even his family bought in, Jay's made the point, uh, Zach from CS Lewis's quote that really comes from this chapter because you got Lord lunatic or liar. And that was the three choices that you see here. And the only ones at this moment that says he's the Lord are the twelve. You know, they're, they're willing to follow him and willing to go do. So I just thought it was really interesting that he shows that clear distinction we've been talking about on this podcast about what Satan's purpose is versus what Jesus is. Well, that's good. Yeah, because because in the face of, of the what Jesus was doing, the three options that you have, you would think in that, like in the face of what he's actually doing and the miracles he's performing, that you would say, okay, I know you're not a liar because I'm seeing you heal people 
and you're obviously not a lunatic because I'm watching you heal, heal lunatics. You must be the Lord. And but they didn't do that. They, 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 they just put their fingers in their ears and they said, we, we, it doesn't matter what you do or what you say, or there is, there is no level where you're going to convince us. And I think that's the big thing that, 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 like what separates, like ultimately what separates the people who walk in the spirit and those who don't is those who walk in the spirit are those who are seeking the truth. And what the spirit does is the Holy spirit, this is what he does. He, I said this in my sermon on Sunday that he makes our current sight like our hindsight. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You can look back and think, "Oh yeah, I wish I'd have thought about that then." Right? Yeah, it all makes sense now, looking at it from the you know, looking at it in the past. What the spirit wants to do is he wants to make your current sight like that, like your hindsight. He wants you to look. He's 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 revealing to you the future. He said, "This is the future." This is the road to fulfillment. This is the road to the abundant life. This is the I mean, what right here in First Corinthians chapter uh, two. He says, uh, "We do speak a, a wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age or uh, uh, of the rulers of this age for who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom, a mystery. It's a hidden mystery. And here's what it is: the things which no eye has seen and no ear has heard." And which should not enter the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. What did he reveal through the Spirit? All the things that he prepared for those who love him. So God is revealing to us the road to an abundant life. And if we just pragmatically look at our lives, and those listening on the podcast, same thing. Like Just look at your life and ask yourself this question. When I have served myself... When I've served my own appetite, when my God, when my God has been my belly and that's the way I've lived my life, I just ask yourself the question, how has that worked out for you? And not a person on the planet can say, man, that now that was awesome. But 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 if you ask yourself this question, when you've given yourself to somebody else, when you poured yourself out, when you've embodied the attitude of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, a human and all that. Like when you live that life. How's that worked out for you? And that's when you've experienced what Phil calls the rarest of commodities, which is what? Peace of mind. That's what the Spirit's offering. And the other side of that is death and destruction. And the reason why we go down it to Al's point is because it's easy. I've, I've said this before. I've watched my 10-year-old son demolish a Lego city that my other son built, and it took him eight hours to build it. I've watched him demolish it for his own pleasure in about 15 seconds. It's easier to destroy than to build, but to build is way more fulfilling. Yeah. But I think that's why uh, First John says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And for years I missed that because I thought, well, I can't walk like Jesus did. I mean, he he was perfect. And, I said the same thing. Uh, uh, well, I, I missed it. And it's, it's the same difference between Jesus' followers and Jesus' opposition. You notice when he called the apostles in chapter 3, which I said, I think this was a pivotal moment for humanity because it showed you that God in his wisdom and in his grace was going to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the prerequisite he put there in verse 14 was that they might be with him. And just to give an illustration of that, it's like, you know, you when you think about what causes fights in your marriage, and I'll give you a typical illustration. You know, your wife, she goes out and does what she does during the day. And then, you know, the husband goes out and does what he does during the day. And then they come back. Well, neither one of them walked in their, their steps. And let's say they're both tired. And so then you have an argument about because you're, you know, you're tired. You, you've had a long day. But the other person is not they're only thinking of themselves in that moment because they know what they did. They know what they experienced. But they didn't walk in your steps. So you can say, look, today, I mean, it was really, you can try to explain it all you want, but you're never going to convince them, especially in the heat of an argument. And, you know, I've, I've probably in the last 30 years of marriage, I've had that argument many times. And it, it's like, there's no way to really explain that in that moment because you weren't with them each step of the way. So like if you took, if I took my wife out, you know, getting ready for the duck season and spent all day brushing the blinds and all. Well, when we got back, she would say, okay, I understand now. That was brutal. 
that was physically exact. So, so my point is, I mean, that's a silly illustration. My point is all these opposition, they were looking at it from a distance. They were just looking at the symptoms of what Jesus was doing. And they were like, nope, 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 nope. Because it wasn't in their mind something that they could wrap their head around. They had this idea that Jesus was going to, the Messiah was going to come and send lightning bolts against Rome and give them all this great wealth and power. And well, he's coming around healing, you know, he's healing diseases. He's being friends with tax collectors. That, that didn't, that didn't fit what they wanted the kingdom of God to be like whatsoever, even though it was great. For the culture and for all human beings, it was awesome. And they just weren't doing it. So there was a process, even with the disciples, that I love this uh, next parable he's going to tell in chapter 4, and we're going to get to it. I'd never really noticed it before in the New Testament. But he, when he says in verse uh, chapter 4, just to give you a preview in 26, he said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And my point is, it's like when you look at the kingdom of God, all these little things that were going on here, as time goes by, this thing develops and it becomes a monstrosity. You know, the sport, the spirit is poured out. People are now getting the Holy Spirit. And for the last 2000 years, the kingdom of God has operated on the earth in powerful ways. Thousands and thousands of people have come to the Lord. They're part of this forever family, and it, it's happened. But it's hard to see it in the moment. The little thing, even like you may do some little act even today, you know, you may give a thousand dollars to some woman in Africa, you know, in the name of Jesus, and you forget all about it. But you look a hundred years down the road, and that woman who brought Hundreds of people to the Lord and the kingdom flourished in a powerful way. And that's why he uses these illustrations, I think, with seeds and planting. And it's not something you can really see, just like even planting a, a corn in the ground. Because you're not going to, it grows so slow that you're not going to stand there and watch it grow. So you don't even see it. You just look up one day and it's like, wow, this is amazing. This is awesome. But it all comes back to that surrendering to Jesus, getting the Holy Spirit. And even though everybody's not watching everything you do every day, after a while, you look around and there's a lot of people doing that. And you're like, this thing is the greatest power on earth. Let's, let's take a break. We are at a tipping point in America. With 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system and a quarter of those awaiting a forever family, Christians must step up. This is Jack Graham, senior pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church, inviting you to Chosen, a summit addressing these urgent needs on Saturday, April 13th. Chosen will empower churches to begin foster care and adoption ministries and equip families who are adopting or fostering. We have great speakers joining me, including Sadie Robertson Huff and Governor Greg Abbott of the great state of Texas, along with dozens of breakout sessions. I urge you to join us and help make a difference in the lives of these precious children. Register at Prestonwood.org slash chosen. One thing I've wrestled with some, but I'm beginning after the study of Mark and what Jesus said, that he said this because they said that you know, you know, this, he was speaking with, he had an evil spirit. But in, in Romans chapter one. Well, I think they he, were just trying to explain how he was actually doing super. Well, they, you know, there's, they couldn't deny what right. they were saying. Yeah, they, they couldn't deny it. So I, I, I'm, I, I've always wrestled a little bit with after he gives a long list of what happens to individuals when they have a depraved mind, God gives them over to do what ought not to be done. That final phase of that little text in Romans chapter 1, uh, about verse 32, although they know 
Now, the people Jesus was dealing with, Mark's writing about, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things, all this wickedness, it starts out with, with uh, they're full of murder, envy, strife, malice, deceit, wickedness, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. Although they know that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they approve of those who practice them. So it's like this wall that humanity comes up with, and they say, oh, that guy, and they look at Jesus, who yeah. is the epitome of love, and he's healing the sick, and he's the blind see, and he's doing all these things, you know, and one miracle after the other, and they said that guy has an evil spirit. Well, I, yeah, they they know that that they know better than that. I think but you're they right. not only I, I, I think you're onto something. It's because you're looking at it from a distance, and you're not trying to walk, you know, right beside Jesus in that in that light. Which is why he gets to when he gets to chapter four, he starts t talking about the parable of the sower, which we've always used that as how people respond to Jesus. Well, three of them, three of the four are unfavorable, yeah. even though they hear it. So he gets into this idea of why he speaks in parables and how people hear, because it, it it's a problem. I mean, that you would think, oh, well, everyone, once they saw Jesus and once he's he's taking care of all these problems in our culture and our yeah. society, they're going to line up as oh. far as you can see. Then we'll say, believe in him. And it didn't happen. No. And so you say, well, we got to figure out why. why. Why didn't more people respond? I mean, look. Uh, I think this sets the context, Jace, of just what you're talking about. And Mark does a brilliant job of now he's going to show, because Jesus has done all these things. There's been three approaches that we said up to this point. Some have said, you're, I'm all in. Not many. Some have said, you're Lord. Some have said, you're crazy. Some have said, you're a liar. That, you know, you're a de you have a demon. So now, now the next phase, all these people are the, the people themselves, everybody else, because we got three groups. Now we got the large mass. And instead of just the healing and all that, he's about to say, okay, we're fixing to find out who's ready to hear and understand and then do something about it and then become a follower, a true follower. Now we're fixing to decide. And so I think that's why he pivots contextually into chapter four and he starts teaching and, and he's and he does it with parables. Go ahead. Dad. I think that's one thing. I agree a hundred percent. I think also, you remember when he first called them in, uh, in chapter one, he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so now he has, you know, has chosen them and he's going to send them out. I also think he's sharing with them that, all right, let, let's talk about how this is going to go. There, you know, there's only a few that are actually going to respond to this because I would think as a fisher of men, I mean, I thought about just because we were all fishermen. I mean, that's how we you made a living, and I understand that. So I thought about— Our revenue was coming from the fish. Well, I thought about, like, if somebody pulled up on the bank and you said, how many you got? And you said, well, I only got a few. Well, us, as fishermen, we we would try to process, well, why why do you only have a few? Of course, our number one thing would be to say, well, you don't know what you're doing. You know, you should ask me because I, I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm being transparent. That, that's usually what we would do. Or we would say, uh, you know, if we, you know, I thought about the reasons why you only catch a few. And the overall one is some fish, or I guess all fish, I mean, it's in their nature not to want to get caught by a hook. Or, or or to be trapped a in a net and and to you know to be cast out of the water. So there's a and I think humans by nature they don't want to surrender to anything. Plus we learned not to be crushed when the days when the when the when the when the catch was a few. We 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 just added more nets and more hooks 
and spent more time at it, you said, I well. Mean, if fish could talk, Phil, uh, the, I think the, the first thing they'd say is, we don't want to be on a wall or in anyone's belly. Fish could talk. Uh, let's take our last break. Yeah, I, I was thinking of this, uh, your point earlier, though, Jace, that uh, is such a good point of of these people, you know, rejecting this Jesus who's doing incredible things. And I, I thought, you know, it's not that just they rejected him. Paul says that in First Corinthians chapter one, that that the Jewish people that demanded sign, they wanted to see signs from God. They wanted to see these signs perform. The, 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 the Greeks wanted the intellectual argument and the reasoning. Um, and, and Paul's like, look, when I came, I didn't, I, I didn't bring the signs, and I didn't bring any, any superior you know, earthly wisdom. I came and preached Christ and him crucified. But, I mean, th- these people were demanding signs, and then when, when they were provided to them, they, they still rejected it. And, I, and, and uh, that which brought me to this idea in Romans chapter 1, um, I think Phil was hitting on, or maybe it's two actually, the, the, the two types of people are this to those verse seven of chapter two to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. That's one. That's one side. One one group is those who are dying to self and, and seek seeking truth, seeking God. Here's the other side. This is the side you don't want to be on. But to those who are selfishly ambitious which is inward, a worship of self, and listen to the correlation of uh, of, truth, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, which by the very definition would be obeying the non-truth, obeying a lie, wrath, and indignation. That's the two types of people. My version says wrath wrath and anger. Wrath and anger. Wrath and anger. Yeah, I don't want to be on that side because one side is saying if you if you if you're seeking immortality and honor and 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 glory, which is not your own glory but the glory of God, you're seeking to participate in that. Then what he's doing is he's inviting you into um, a participatory relationship where God is. He's, you're getting to bask in the overflow of His love and glory. The other side of that, when you seek yourself and in your own isolation. Uh, you kind of get what you want in the end. That's another thing C.S. Lewis said. He said that there are two types of people in the world. Those who say to God, thy will be done. Those are truth seekers. And then those to whom God says, thy will be done. Those are who, who those who worship themselves. If you worship yourself and you want a life without God, eventually God is going to give you what you desire. He's going to give you a life all by yourself. Zach, you may you, you talked about the will, and that's how Jesus. Remember the last thing he says in chapter three, when he's when he's saying, "They said, you know, your family's here," and he said, "Well, this is my family." And then he says, "Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother." So it's exactly the point you were making. What he said was, "If you want to do what's right, you'll be concerned about the will of God, not the will of yourself." or some group or somebody else, which, which really then sets up, I think in chapter four, I, I want to read this um, first, the, the parable of the sower, So we can talk about a little bit in overtime uh, in, in chapter four, verse one, Jesus began to teach by the lake. So we started another cycle. He's back out again. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat. Remember Jace, we said before in chapter three, he said, you better get a boat ready. Cause these crowds are getting so big. He said, and then he set it out in the on the lake while all the people were around the shore at the water's edge. Because now there's so many, they can't even hear him unless he gets out there in the water. And sound you know, is providing some amplification for him. He taught them many things by parables. We're going to talk quite a bit about that in the next podcast. And in his teaching, he said this. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have uh, much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil 
it came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. And then here's the key to the parable, really. Then Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. And and he's going to go on to say a little bit more, but that's far as I want to go for overtime because they obviously all had ears. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Uh, there probably wasn't many earless people in the crowd, so physically they had ears, but are they hearing what he said, or maybe yeah. listening? I mean, I think it's really about how you listen and how you hear, because he's going to go on to say. I mean, it's a pretty complex. Uh, section in that because it's just long he tells this simple story in illustration because great teachers they they have that ability to make things simple which is what jesus did so he he tells this simple story but you also must have an explanation of it because if you don't well it's just a story that i mean he he tells the four different hearts but then he explains it in the next section and he makes one one statement that I wanted to zero in on because he told his disciples, he said, the secret of the kingdom in verse 11 of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. And so then he tells what the parable meant. He's like, here's what it here's the explanation, which is very exciting for those who have the heart that God's going to use to produce a, a crop. And it and it's a number, it's a multiplication that they can't even conceive as far as a farmer. I mean, it, it's hundred a hundred times what was sown. So I think it's pretty fascinating. Well, and, and I think when you when you, when you talk about the mystery, I mean, you know, Paul particularly uses that language a lot about the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel. Um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest parts of the mystery is the inclusion of, of the Gentiles into salvation. And, and a lot of that's coming to this, to that conclusion and in, in, in all the gospels and particularly in the book of Romans too. I mean, the whole book of Romans has got this big parentheses around it, which is Paul basically here's the parentheses on the, on the, the first yeah. paragraph and the last paragraph in the book of Romans. Yeah. You know, Paul says, I came to bring about for the, the gen from the Gentiles to the obedience of faith, which is goes back to this whole thing. And uh, when you said, um, you said something about the kingdom, uh, verse 11, um, the kingdom of God, uh, those who are outside. Uh, the secret of the you know kingdom what? of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. You were talking about the, 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 the multiple, the multiplication of the crop, the scattered yeah. seed and all that, how it was like a hundredfold. Like, like think about the promise that God made Abraham, the promise God made Abraham Abraham's vision of that was very limited. Although it may have been very large in his mind, it, uh, he could not comprehend the the increase because he he was only thinking about DNA. He had no yeah. clue that there'd be four guys on a podcast in 2022 <laughs> that were his grandkids, spiritual grandkids. Right. We we are we are heirs of Abraham. We are part of the Abrahamic covenant. We are sitting here. Exactly. He, he would have never, never fathomed the level of, of what God was going to deliver that we're participating yeah. in that right now. Well, that's why I brought up that parable of the, uh, you know, the seed that at night you don't see it grow. Because it, it, that is the kingdom, yeah. you know. All right, we're headed to overtime. We're headed to overtime. Uh, good stuff. We'll see you over there. If you want to come follow us. Uh, it's blazetv.com slash unashamed. Not only do you get our overtime segments, but everything that Blaze has to offer as well. So subscribe and follow us over to Overtime. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, Subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.